If you have your Bible, I invite you to open it up to Genesis chapter uh, 37. We're going to be there this morning and around there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in your chair. You can just follow along this morning. I'm actually going to be telling a story this morning, so, but it's found in the Bible in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. I'm going to be going through there and walking through it this morning in this series of how God prepares people. But as we do, let me start off with a question. How many of you have ever, I want you to raise your hand on this, isn't rhetorical. How many of you ever have been hurt by someone else? How, how many of you have ever been hurt? For, if you don't have your hand up, you are welcome to leave. You don't, you don't have to stay for this message. This one's not for you. I don't know how you made it through life this far without being hurt by someone, but you figured something out and you don't need what I have to say today. Um, but I'm imagining almost every one of us had our hand up. So let me ask a second question. How many of you who have been hurt by someone else, I want you to think about maybe that person, found it hard to then be loving towards that person afterwards? How many would put your hand up on that, right? Found it hard to be kind to that person afterwards. It is hard, right? It's difficult at times to do that. And if you're in this room and you are not a follower of Jesus and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're with us today and you're thinking and about maybe what this all means to your life. But if you're in this room and you are a Christian, here's the thing. When someone hurts us or when someone causes pain to us in our life, the Bible and Jesus is very clear on how Christ followers are to respond in those situations. Uh, at Jesus is in his uh, message to us at one time said, love your enemies. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, you have a choice. You don't have to love your enemy. You can hate your enemies. But if you are going to say, Jesus is my Lord, then you have to deal with that statement that Jesus says that when somebody hurts me, I'm to love my enemies and even pray for those who persecute you. But that's not easy, right? That's, that's easier said than done. That is much easier on a Sunday morning at 11.45 in the morning to stand up here and say to you and for you to nod your head and say, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do, than it is on a Thursday afternoon or a Monday morning in a situation where someone has been harmful to you. And yet, this is the call that we have upon us. So I want to talk, I want to walk through a story this morning about someone who had a situation in their life that continually had wrong things happen to him. And you might think about your life and you're like, man, it's been one series of setback after setback after setback. You know, I try and do the right thing, but the wrong thing keeps happening. I want to share with you a story of a young man this morning who uh, also, I think his story would rival any in this room, probably surpass most, if not all, in this room about setback after setback after setback, about wrong things happen. And when wrong things happen, how can you respond in the right way? Because that's the challenge, right? Wrong things are always going to happen, but how do you respond in the right way? Or evil things are going to happen. How do you respond in a loving way? 
The man I want to tell you about this morning is his name is Joseph. And I said his story is found, his account is found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Now, if you are a church-going person and I say Joseph and I say Genesis and you've grown up in the church, you know exactly who I'm talking about. If you are not a church-going person and I say Joseph and you're sitting in church, you are probably thinking Joseph and Mary because that may be the only Joseph you've ever heard about in your life. And that's fine. He's probably the one most people know. But this is not that Joseph. Joseph and Mary and Jesus in Bethlehem that we hear about at Christmas, this Joseph lived several thousand years before that Joseph. This is a different Joseph. In God's plan, he decided to reveal himself to humanity through a particular people, the Jewish people. And he decided to reveal himself to humanity through the nation of Israel. And he, how he related to the Jewish people and how he related to the nation of Israel He revealed to the world his character and who he is and how he acts. But that nation had to start someplace. And it started with one man. His name was Abram. God changed it to Abraham. And he chose Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God. And you're going to follow me. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. And you are going to be a blessing to the whole world. And ultimately, Jesus would come through Abraham's line, and he was a blessing to the whole world. But let me back up. So we got Abraham, just one person, no nation, no people, just one man, Abraham. Abraham has a son, his name's Isaac. Isaac has a couple of sons, and one of his sons is named Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The 11th of those 12 sons is named Joseph. And he's the one that I want to talk to you about this morning. It gives you a little context and time frame. Joseph and his family, maybe it's like your family, like my family. Maybe you had a perfect family growing up, but I'm guessing your family probably had some interpersonal conflicts at times. Joseph's family, imagine 11 brothers, other siblings, and and family members that are in there. You get enough people in enough, you know, at the same space for a long enough period of time, there's going to be some arguing. I don't know how it was in Joseph's household. I don't know if they argued about who emptied the dishwasher last night and whose turn it is today, like that sometimes happens in my house, or who got the front seat yesterday and who gets to get the front seat today. I'm not sure if they had those kinds of arguments, but I know that in a family like that, there's often trouble because people get agitated and aggravated. All of a sudden, someone, you know, thinks that things aren't fair. I don't know, maybe I'm the only parent that's ever heard those words. It's not fair. She got this, he got that. And then if you're in a family where there's also favoritism, that's even harder. And someone's considered the favorite and what that looks like, then that causes even more trouble. That's probably, I don't know if that happened. I just, it is what it is. Um, uh, We probably should take that down if any of my sisters are in the room. Could be a problem. Um, Joseph actually grew up in a family where there was favoritism. In fact, all his siblings knew that Joseph was their dad's favorite. They all knew it. He made it clear, if you've seen Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, he gave Joseph this coat of many colors, made it clear he was his dad's favorite. And his brothers knew it. And because of 
this. His brothers got angry, envious, jealous. And that would be one thing, but they took it to the next level. One day, their brothers were out keeping their father's sheep. And Jacob says to Joseph, your brothers have been gone a while. Go check on them. See if they have everything they need. And so Joseph goes and checks on his brothers. And they see him coming a long way off. And they're envious. And they're jealous. And their father's not around. He's a long way off. I don't know what you would do in that moment. Probably not what they would do. Because they said, let's kill him. Now that's a harsh family. That's a dysfunctional family. I don't care how bad your family is. And they weren't just joking. Like they were serious. Like let's kill Joseph. We don't want to deal with him anymore. And we'll tell our father that an animal ate him. Destroyed him. Killed him. And he comes. And they take him. And they throw him into a pit. But then I guess cooler heads prevail. And they Somehow, they decide that killing their brother is not a very brotherly thing to do, and it's not very profitable either. So instead, they'll sell him. There's a caravan going by. One of them sees it from far off. He said, we can sell our brother. He'll be gone. We'll still tell our father an animal killed him, and we'll get a little money into the deal as well. And so that's what they do. They sell him into a caravan that's passing by. Caravan goes down to Egypt, sells Joseph into a man's hands named Potiphar. He's the captain of the guard in Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh is the uh, head of the nation of Egypt, one of the two most powerful nations on earth at the time. And he gets sold into the captain of the guard's house, Potiphar. So imagine Joseph's situation. You were just going out to check on your brothers. You were living with your dad not too long ago. Now you're in a foreign land with foreign people that don't speak your language, that you don't know, that you've never been, and you have been sold as a slave. Now you have a master who owns you. Talk about setback. Through no fault of your own, if I haven't mentioned that. He didn't do anything to deserve this. He didn't do anything to bring this on. And yet he's sold into slavery. How would you respond in that moment? Maybe you've been, maybe you're not, certainly not in the situation that's the same as Joseph, but maybe you've been in a situation where you felt you've been slighted through no fault of your own. You felt you got the raw end of the deal even though you didn't do anything wrong. You felt like you've been put into a situation that slights you even though it's not your fault. You did everything right. And you got stuck maybe in the corner at work with no chance for advancement. Or you get left out of the family will with no one leaving you anything. Or you get left out of being invited to family functions and you feel like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And here's Joseph. What would you do in that situation? Joseph even though wrong and evil had been done to them, decides that he's going to do good and right to whoever he is put in their household and whatever he's given to do. So he actually works as hard as he can for Potiphar. He is the best slave Potiphar has. In fact, Potiphar elevates Joseph into his house such that in Genesis chapter 39, verse 4, it says, So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. 
Joseph became in charge of all of Potiphar's house. There was nothing and no one that was over him. One problem was that Potiphar's wife liked Joseph a little too much. Uh, Potiphar's wife had his, uh, her eye on Joseph and wanted to be with Joseph. And so she would continue to try and seduce him, continue to try and get Joseph to come and be with her. But Joseph would say no every single time. He did the right thing, even though wrong had been done to him. Could have easily played the victim. Could have easily said, well, look, where is all this doing good gotten me? I'm just going to go and do what I want to do and what feels good, and why not? But he says no. In fact, this is what he says to Potiphar's wife. It says, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. It's supposed to be another script. I'm going to finish it from here. This is Genesis chapter 39, 8 through 10. He's put everything in my charge. Because you, I am not, uh, he's put everything in, you, in my charge. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. And so Joseph, even though wrong had been done to him, he continues to say no, no, no. Well, Joseph, well, Potiphar's wife didn't like this too much. She didn't like, I don't guess that Potiphar's wife got rejected much at all. But to be rejected by a slave, a foreigner, her husband's property, well, now this was a slight she couldn't take. And so she decided that she was going to make sure that if he wouldn't be with her, that she was going to take care of him. So she falsely claimed that he had attacked her. And she said that uh, he had come after her and tried to be with her. Potiphar comes back. She submits this, this accusation, and immediately Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. So now we have Joseph still through no fault of his own, done nothing wrong of his own accord sold by his brothers into slavery, does everything right by Potiphar, including resisting his own wife's advances, and ends up in prison. No trial, false accusations, no justice. For a crime he did not commit, he's in prison. I don't know what Egyptian prisons were like at the time, but I can guess that they were not like prisons here. And even though prisons here may be bad, you're still getting, I imagine, three meals a day and, and some of your basic necessities, and you have a state that's watching out for you. In Egypt, I think you're probably barely being kept alive, especially a foreigner in an Egyptian prison. And that's where Joseph finds himself. What would you do? He's wronged again. I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but through no fault of his own, even when evil was done to him, he said, I'm going to do right. Now he's in prison. What does Joseph do? Well, he decides he's going to become the model prisoner. He's going to be the best prisoner this prison has ever seen. He, is, he could easily play the victim. He could easily say, look, it's not my fault. Look, it's, 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 I didn't do anything to deserve it. Forget it. This doing right and this doing good, it, look where it's gotten me. Like, forget it. 
But he said, instead, he, just, he became the model prisoner. And in fact, it says this, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, Genesis 39. So he's in prison, but he says, I'm gonna be the best prisoner I can be. He's gonna continue to serve. He's gonna continue to do what's right even though wrong has been done to him. How do you do what's right when, wrong, when it continues to result in the wrong result? How do you do good when it continues to result in evil coming to you? How do you bless when it continues to result in people cursing you. I mean, that's the biggest challenge. When you continue to do the right thing and it continues to have the wrong results in your life. And you might say, well, if you know the story, well, God's taken Joseph somewhere. That's said from the privilege of our perspective after the fact. I don't think Joseph saw it that way. Joseph saw prison as a bad thing. He didn't want to be there. He wanted to get out of there. But he's in prison, and then he sees two people, two guys, and they look sad and down. Now, here's the striking thing about that to me. If I'm in prison for a crime I didn't commit, and I'm in prison for without a trial, and it's been injustice, all I'm thinking about is me. All I'm thinking about is my problem. All I'm thinking about is what's been done to me, but not Joseph. Joseph sees two guys who are sad, and he goes and he asks them why they're so sad. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. I'd be so like, look, you got a reason to be sad? Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what happened to me. You think you've got a reason to be downcast and depressed? Let's, Let's compare scars. Let's compare stories. But he doesn't do that. One's a cupbearer to the king, or was, and one was a king's baker. And he goes to him, he says, why are you so sad? Why are you so downcast? And they say, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, well, God can interpret dreams. Why don't you tell me the dreams? We'll see if God gives the interpretation. Tell him his dream. They tell him their dreams, and he does give the interpretation. Says to the baker, he says, yours is in three days. Uh, The king is going to, Pharaoh is going to lift your head from your shoulders, and that'll be the end of you. You're going to die in three days. He says to the cupbearer, the king in three days is going to lift your head too, but he's not going to lift your head from your shoulders. He's going to lift your head back up to the place where you once served. You're going to be restored to be the cupbearer to the king. You'll be restored to that right-hand position. You'll be back where you once were. But Joseph doesn't want to be in prison, and so he says, when he does this, When this dream that I've told you is going to happen comes about, remember me. What's he saying? He's saying, put in a good word for me. Get me out of this place. Does good. He continues to do right. He continues to do good. He continues to bless. And you think, well, finally he's going to get rewarded. But actually, Genesis chapter 40, 23 says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He didn't forget him like I can't remember his name. 
he just chose to not say anything to Pharaoh about him. For the next two years, Joseph continues to sit in prison, continues to do good even though wrong has been done to him. And then one day, Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh had a dream and and it was given to Pharaoh, but no one could interpret it. This is two years after Joseph interpreted the cupbearer dream. And the cupbearer then remembers, well, there was this guy And this might get me a little clout, right? Because I'm going to help Pharaoh in his situation. Now it's advantageous to me. Let me share about this guy, Joseph, who can maybe interpret your dream. And he tells him about Joseph. And Joseph comes out and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he tells him the meaning. And Pharaoh is so blown away. He puts Joseph second in command of all of Egypt. And he says, no one will be higher than you except me puts him in command of everything and makes him head in charge. And here's my question. How do you do right when it continues to have the wrong result for you? How do you do good when it continues to result in bad happening to you? How do you bless when it continues to result in people cursing you. Because Joseph had setback after setback after setback, sold into slavery by his brothers, thrown into prison for a crime he didn't commit, left in prison to rot because someone he helped forgot him. Yeah, eventually he gets to this place where he's second to Pharaoh. And God used that and brought him there. We're going to talk about that, but... Through it all, Joseph maintained an attitude that allowed him to do good and do the right thing. And my question is how? Because you and I are both called and all called, if you're a follower of Christ, to love those who persecute us, to show love, to pray for those who persecute us and love our enemies. And we could say, well, Joseph was a superman. He's in the Bible. Don't you know that, Pastor Rick? He's in the Bible. He's a superman. He's, He's not like us. I don't buy that. I think the Bible is a story of real men and women who are learning to walk with a real God. He didn't have a cape. He wasn't a superman. But he did learn to walk with God, and I want to know how he did that. I think he had a couple things that he had that we also have, and I'm going to give them to you real quick. First of all, at the beginning of the story, what I had left out is if you know the story, you know Joseph had a God-given dream. Joseph had a God-given dream that was given to him. It says in Genesis 37, 9, then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. So God gave Joseph a dream and he said, Joseph, one day you're going to be in power. One day you're going to be elevated. One day even your own brothers and fathers will bow down to you. Now you can argue whether he should or should not have told that dream to his brothers and all that trouble that caused him families. But the truth is it was a dream given to him by God. He shared it. It's his brother's fault of how they reacted to it, but it was a dream given by God. And he knew that he had this dream that was given by God. He knew that he had a word from God that throughout his life that he could hang on to. The truth is you can put up with some stuff if you know there's a vision down the road of something that's coming. You can deal with some stuff if you know down the road something else is coming. I remember when I was 11 years old and my uh, family decided to take a trip down to Disney World. Only we weren't flying to Disney World. We were driving to Disney World. 
and we lived right here. And so if you've driven from here to there, it's a little bit of time. If you've done it in a Caprice Classic Chevy station wagon, it's a 24-hour drive. You want to guess what the number one question on that drive was? There was no GPS telling us, in 11 min- hours, in 12 minutes, you'll be there. It was my father saying, we'll be there when we get there. Because the question is always, are we there yet? But here's the thing. If you know the magic kingdom and Mickey Mouse is waiting on the other end, you can put up with some stuff in the meantime. You can deal with 24 hours in the station wagon with your sisters arguing about over music and seats and whatever else we argued over. Because the magic kingdom is waiting on the other side. And if you have a God-given vision from God of what's coming, you can deal with some stuff in the meantime. Because the truth is, the way it is now is not how it always was. It's not the way God intended it. And it's not how it always will be. But you got to know, you got that vision from God. In Revelation, God gave a vision to the Apostle John. And John said it this way. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be be with them as their God. Listen to this. Here's the vision. Here's what God says in that time. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the vision God has given you. That one day, all that pain and all that hurt and all that is going to be gone. One day, everything will be made right. There will be no more injustice. And all will be made right by God with God in his kingdom. And if you have that compelling vision of what's coming, that kingdom, then you can put up with some stuff. In the meantime, you can even do what's right when other people do what's wrong to you. You can even bless when someone else curses you. You can even do good when someone does what's wrong to you. You know, we think of someone with a dream often in our culture and in our society. It's hard not to think of Martin Luther King Jr., And his I have a dream speech that inspired and there were people that clinged on to that speech and said, you know, we have this dream and we we can change things and make no mistake about it, that dream of being judged strictly on the content of your character and not the color of your skin has not come to full fruition and has not come about. But even if it does come about, it still will fall short of the dream that God says is one day coming. That one day it'll all be erased, the pain. One day it'll all be made right. And so in that time, and in that place, with that vision, you can go forward and say, you know what? I have been done wrong, but I can continue to do right. I have been hurt, but I can continue to help. I have been, had pain come into my life, but I can continue to be a blessing. 
I can't do that if I don't have that compelling vision of what's coming. If I don't have that compelling vision, I got to fix it right now and get mine and do unto others as it's been done to me instead of do unto others as I would have them do unto me. But Joseph had a compelling vision. He also had God's presence with him. It says again and again in these scriptures, and I'll just read one of them. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. He not only had a God-given vision, he had God's presence with him. He knew that when he was in Egypt, away from his family, away from everyone else, he knew or cared about him or he cared about, God was still with him. And that's true no matter where you go. And no matter what anyone tries to do with you in your workplace, in your school, students, no matter what anyone tries to do to you on social media, no matter what, that God is with you. And that God, a God-given dream and God's presence with you can result in a profound trust in God that you would not have otherwise. And that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? That if, will I trust that even though I keep doing right and wrong things result, even though I keep doing good and bad things keep happening, even though I keep blessing and I seem to be still getting cursed, will I continue to trust that God is still in control? Will I have a profound trust that says, you know what, I'm going to keep doing the right thing, even though you're not doing right by me. David knew that God was, uh, David, David was last week. Jo David knew it too. But Joseph knew that God was with him. Let me run through a couple scriptures right before we close to show you this. When he was with Potiphar's wife, I already said it. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph, if you were following the timeline, there's no Ten Commandments yet. There's no law given yet. This is way early on in the history of God and his people. The only people that have known this God are his great-grandfather Abraham, his grandfather Isaac, his father Jacob, and now it's been passed down to him. And yet he has a profound trust that this God sees him, even when he's in a foreign land and with a foreign people. He says, I can't sin against God in this way because God's watching. I don't care if there's no one else watching. I don't care if no one else can see me. And that's the test, isn't it? When you and I are in the privacy of our own homes and the privacy of the place where no one else can see, when you are incognito on your browser history and no one else can see, there's the test, right? Will I trust that God still sees? Will I trust that God is still cares about how I act and how I respond in that moment? Later on, when they come to him with the dreams, Joseph doesn't say, I'll interpret them. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? He's been thrown in prison. He's been thrown in prison. Where is God? And yet he still trusts that God is with him. He still trusts that God is able to act. He still trusts that God is good because God will give him an interpretation to the dream because it's God's work and God's name's on the line. And then eventually he goes to Pharaoh and it says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And how easy in that moment it would have been to say, oh yeah, king, I can do this for you. 
But Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Pharaoh was considered a god in Egypt. For him to say those words to Pharaoh was a challenge to all that Egypt stood for and all that Pharaoh stood for. So I can't give you the answer, but God can. Will you in the moments when you are at a place where you have been wronged, where you would be easy to consider yourself a victim, be able to say God is still at work and I will continue to trust him even though I've done the right thing and wrong things keep happening. I mean, it's evil that happens to Joseph. Just God used it for good and elevated him to second to Pharaoh. But make no mistake about it, it's being a slave was evil. Being in prison was evil. Those are evil things in this world that happened to him and yet he continued to do right and do good. Not because of his own strength but because of a compelling dream given by God because of God's presence and a profound trust. The ultimate, of course, evidence of this is later on after Abraham's brothers and fathers. And if you haven't read the story, Genesis 37 to 50, read it this afternoon. Go home and read it. If you haven't read it, it's incredible. But through a series of events that happen, his brothers and fathers do come and bow down to him because he is second in command in all of Egypt and the dream comes a reality. But then eventually his father dies and his brothers think now the jig is up. The old man's gone and Joseph is going to get his and he's gonna get back at us and he's gonna take revenge because he knows that we sold him into slavery. And Joseph's words to his brothers in that moment are, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide food for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted and spoke kindly to them. Even in his revenge, Joseph trusted God. He could have done anything he wanted. He was second in command of all of Egypt. No one would have questioned it. He says, am I in the place of God? No. I will take care of you and I will do good to you even though you sold me into slavery. And so things will happen in this life and you may do right and it results in wrong coming to you but you can continue to love because with a God-given vision and his presence with you, then you can have a profound trust in God to keep doing the right thing even when it gets the wrong result. And you say, well, Pastor Rick, don't you mean it seems to get the wrong result? I'll say it again. Prison was evil. Slavery was evil. God used it for good. If you had asked Joseph, can I take another path? He would have taken another path. God used it. But he continued to do the right thing even when evil things happened. And they'll come into your life Pain will come into your life. And if someone has told you that because you followed Jesus, you don't have to worry about pain coming into your life anymore, they lied to you. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And in fact, you'll have even more of it if you choose to follow Jesus for different reasons. But you have a profound, you have a compelling dream that God has given you. And you have 
God who is with you and a profound trust in him. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back as we conclude and wrap up. And as we do, I want to tell you next week, you have a unique opportunity because it goes along with this message. Uh, next week, we're going to have Susanna Coe uh, with us. Um, and she was here a couple of years ago. And you might remember her husband, Pastor Ray, um, who had been working. And Joan, I think these details are pretty public by now, right? Okay. So uh, Pastor Raymond, uh, was uh, they were pastoring in Malaysia and doing work for um, kingdom work and doing work, uh, sharing the gospel and just pastoring in that place. And three years ago, uh, Pastor Raymond, we have this video footage of it. Um, it's no secret. He was abducted. There were two sedans that stopped traffic, motorcycles that came on. 90 seconds, he was taken away and hasn't been seen for three years. And uh, we, Susanna has gone before the U.S. Council and government. She's gone before. She's testified in Malaysia. She's doing everything she can to try and get her husband back, her daughter, attend school up at Gordon College here up the road. And she'll be with us next week in our second service. And then afterwards, you can uh, stay in the cafe from about 1230 to 2. She's going to hang around and you can meet Susanna, hear her story and hear how you can be praying for her. But I tell you that to tell you this because I went to lunch with her this last year, a couple of years ago. And it was as much a Joseph perspective and story as I could see. It wasn't Susanna saying, poor is me and the victim. It was her with her profound trust in God. That yes, this is evil and she wants her husband back and she wants her kid's father back. But she also knows that the work that God has called them to is important and she will continue to do and be a part of the work and the vision that God has called them to. How can you do that when evil has come to you? How can you do that when someone abducted and stole your husband and you have no idea where he is and haven't heard a word about him in three years? It's not because she's a superwoman. It's not because she has some strength that you don't have. Because she has strength, access to the same strength you do have. She has a profound vision and dream about what's coming in the future. She has God with her. And she has a profound trust that God is at work. And so she'll come here next week and we will pray for her and we will pray with her. And we will recognize a trust and a faith in her that I pray would be true in all of us and in our church. Because here's the thing. If you will walk through life with that kind of profound trust, people will notice. Because in your workplace, when someone sees you done wrong and you treat them right, they're going to say, how can you do that? They're going to say, that doesn't usually happen. That's not how people usually act. What's going on in your life? that somebody did evil to you and you continue to speak well and do good for them. And you say, well, it's not me. It's not me. It's the God who is with me, who I trust in this situation. So we're going to close out our service with worship. And if you need to come to this altar and pray, because maybe God has been working on your heart and there's a name that God has given you and someone has done you wrong and God is saying you need to stop returning that wrong to them. You need to forgive. You need to love. You need to pray for those who persecute you. You need 
to do right even when others have done wrong to you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying for you to stay in some kind of abusive situation when you can get out of that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying you cannot not forgive. I am saying you cannot not love. I am saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit that I believe God will give you the ability to be able to do right even when wrong has been done to you. To brothers who sold them into slavery, Joseph says, I'm not in the position of God. And I will do good to you and to your children even though you did wrong to me. Father, these are hard words for us to live out. They're even hard words for us to hear. I don't know the situations that sit in this room, but your Holy Spirit does. And so, Father, I pray that you would search and work in our hearts. And where healing needs to be done, I pray that you would do it. God, I pray that as we are going to be Christ followers, that you would help us to be people who would love people who would continue to do right even though wrong's done to us continue to bless even though people curse continue to be good even though evil comes Father help us to trust you in you in all of this in Jesus name